today's episode of Afrinuk Podcast, we bring you a rare gem and a gold mine in the industry, Rod McCollum. Rod McCollum has been working on regulatory issues at Nuclear Energy Institute, NEI, since 1998. He has 35 years of nuclear engineering, licensing, management, and regulatory policy experience. Currently at NEI, he leads industry efforts to reduce business risks associated with used nuclear fuel management, commercial nuclear power plant decommissioning, and emergent material degradation issues by directing broad scope technical and regulatory programs. He held prior positions in government with Department of Energy and Industry at three commercial nuclear power plants. He has a Bachelor's of Science degree in nuclear engineering from University of Cincinnati and a Master's of Business Administration degree from Louis University. Listen and get inspired by this great gold mine in the industry. Uh, nice to have you, Rod McCollum. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have you on this episode of the AfriNuk podcast. I counted it a very great um, um, privilege to be in touch with you on the recommendation of Professor Todalen after the interview we had with him. And I'm so grateful that you honored that um, recommendation. And um, very, I'm very grateful for how your media team has also been corresponding with me to get in touch with you um, on this um, episode. So uh, to start with... Yeah, highly welcome. So to start with, uh, I would like uh, to have some introduction. Tell us about you and what you do. Well, as as you mentioned, I am a nuclear engineer. I I went to college for that. I I began working at what's called an architect engineering firm early on in my career, building new nuclear plants. Um, I worked on a couple uh, in uh, New York and Tennessee and here in the United States that are still operating today. Uh, but that was towards the end of the last wave of building new nuclear plants. Uh, I then went into the Department of Energy where I, I worked on various things. I also worked at a shutdown nuclear plant before I did that. And uh, so I'm glad to be talking about, again, a new wave of building nuclear plants because it's kind of where I began my career. I've been at NEI for the last 22 years. I never thought I would be in one organization where I've been working on used fuel, decommissioning, a lot of regulatory policy uh, things, as well as technical issues. And um, it's an area where really there's a lot going on in our industry. We think it's a big part of our value proposition in terms of being clean energy, uh, the way we manage everything we do cradle to grave. And again, uh, I'm very excited to talk to people about you that again, out there, there is a new wave of folks looking to build plants. I, <clears throat> I'd begin to wonder if I'd see that day again, but we certainly are seeing it. Oh, that's so great. I, I kind of um, picked some interest when you said you were involved in building nuclear plants and also shutting them down. Like, tell us, like, how does it feel? Maybe have you shut down any of those ones you were involved in building? Like, no, the, the two I, I was involved in building, Watts Bar in Tennessee and Nine Mile Point Two in upstate New York, are, are still operating. Very proud of that. I mean, I, I didn't do everything, but I, I had some small role. Um, I was at the Zion nuclear plant in Illinois when it shut down, and I stayed there. Um, I'd actually gone there to try to help rescue it to prevent it from being shut down. It was a lot of management issues, not technical issues, not physical problems with the plant that caused it to be shut down. And I'll tell you one thing, when a nuclear plant shuts down, it is a very emotional event. I, wow. I used to process in and out of that plant every day. And there was always a lot of banter, people coming in, you know, you got to go through all the scanners and machines and, you know, you're talking, hey, how was your weekend? How was your evening? All that sort of stuff. And the day after they announced the shutdown, dead silence. And I didn't even know the machines made noise. I could just hear the clicking and the whirring of the machines we were processing through for the first time. 
because yeah. there was a human talk. And, um, you know, it's a huge part of the community because a nuclear plant is such a big employer, uh, such a big contributor to the tax base. Uh, the nuclear employees tend to be very involved in the community in my career. I've, I've been a PTA president. I've been a little league baseball coach. I've managed wow. to swim team, you know, stuff you do with your kids. Yeah. And, and I'm not any different than most uh, nuclear professionals. We tend to be involved people. We all got into nuclear energy because we saw it as something big we could do to make a difference. And, yeah. you know, that doesn't end when we go in and out of the gate of the plants. We, 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 and, and that's why I like staying at NEI for 22 years, because we get to see how it all happens all around the industry. So I get to be a part of a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I, I really got the point. You, you talked about the emotional part of having plants being shut down, like the experience and everything that comes with it. I mean, like, I'm also more concerned about the human capital aspect, like people that get to lose their jobs and they get mm-hmm. to, like, um, change uh, maybe industry or get to apply their skills in um, other parts of uh, uh, the industry. And um, that brings me kind of, um, you've had a kind of 35 glistering years of career in the nuclear industry. That makes me wonder, like, how have you been able to navigate and what do you think is the, is the future? And what do you think is um, uh, when we do this, um, we are heading in the right direction because I believe you have the benefit of insight. Having been there for 35 years, uh, come on, I need to emphasize it. This is like my whole lifetime subsumed in your. Oh age. yeah, it seems like a long time, and I can assure you it is. Yeah, um, like I, I, I've been, I've been truly blessed to be in this industry this long. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it, it is, it is a place where employers treat their employees very well. Um, there's such an emphasis on 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 safety, such an emphasis on accountability. Yeah. Uh, folks pride themselves in, in being uh, good at what they do. Where I see it going is, you know, it, we are as a, as a human race, uh, our survival instinct is the strongest thing we have, yeah. and. Uh, we now, you know, yeah, your last question is the one that intrigued me the most, uh, the ones you shared in advance, so I'll go there first, is, okay. you know, what can we take away from COVID? And, and what I think we take away from that is, again, how strong the human survival instinct is. I mean, yeah. it's been tough, and it's not over in a lot of parts of the world, but um, we, we got vaccines, we, we, we did the things we needed to do. I, I was at a Major League Baseball game in Chicago, um, uh, just a few weeks ago, and um, I tell you, it was an explosion of human joy because we hadn't been able to go to Major League Baseball games. Wow. We, we played our national sport. Our national sport was played in front of empty stadiums, as was the national sports of so many countries. Yeah, and you know, this team has a tradition. There's a song they sing at the end of the game after they won. Mm. They won, and just nobody had left because everybody wanted to be there, you know, to sing together. We'd all. We'd all been affected uh, by the pandemic. Uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of national controversy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were Republicans, Democrats, all different races, but we were we were just one being joyful together over something as silly as a baseball game. And you know, I I, I think, and that just to me, that just was an expression of how powerful our, our collective survival instinct is. And yeah. and I think we're seeing the same thing over carbon now. We're seeing the, this idea that we know there's this existential threat of climate change. Yeah. And so I, I see nuclear 
being a huge part of how we overcome that, just like vaccines and social distancing. And, you know, you need nuclear and solar and wind, just like we needed all the things we did during the pandemic to survive. And I, I see us being as strongly driven. You know, we went through four years in this country where we had an administration that was trying to ignore climate change. They failed miserably. Corporate America, state governments, local governments, everybody kept fighting climate change. Hmm. And, and and we're still doing it. We're, we're still decarbonizing. And that's why I'm glad to, to hear that, that the nations of Africa are, are doing the same thing. And so I see us being expanding uh, but you, you mentioned it, the human capital aspect of it's huge. Because yeah. um, we did lose a lot of human capital. People like me were able to stay in the industry. We were able to find useful things to do. You know, we kept a, a U.S. operating fleet. It generates as much electricity as it ever did by making the plants more efficient, more powerful, uh, even though we did shut down some plants. So we're, we're, we're having our best years ever in terms of contributing to carbon-free energy. Uh, you know, we, we, as I mentioned, are, are better at cradle-to-grave management of our facilities, and that includes the use fuel. I know that's what you want to talk about, so yeah. I'll let you get to that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I see a, uh, it's... It, it's the human race is going to survive and, and, and we get to be a part of it. This yeah, nice. sure, 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 sure. So that survival will bring us um, a lot of innovation. Like uh, we have to deploy a lot of um, ingenuity to uh, getting the best out of any technology we find ourselves. And this kind of brings me to... Um, asking you about uh, since you've been more involved in the decommissioning aspect of nuclear power plants and uh, i'm in africa and uh, we don't have uh, most um, uh, of our countries having nuclear power plants except south africa so uh, it should be less of a worry to think about decommissioning but uh, building nuclear power plants has a unique feature where you have to plan about decommissioning and even allocate funds for it even before it gets um, commissioned so uh, i wonder like is is this still uh, the case now and um, do you think there is um, room for improvements to uh, reducing the decommissioning burden uh, for um, upcoming countries or people that are interested in well, it, it is still plans? the case and the biggest part of that burden is the used fuel. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll get to that. Although the used fuel is another example of simply how well we manage uh, our facilities from cradle to grave. But I think the United States uh, and our regulatory structure was in the lead of this idea that from the day you, you start the plant, you were saving up to decommission the plant. Okay. Uh, all of our plants also contributed to a fund that pays for the management of the spent fuel. Um, you know, we're unique amongst energy sources and that we, our, our big byproduct waste is that when you split atoms, they split into smaller atoms. Some of these are radioactive. They remain radioactive for many years. They have to be safely contained. We've developed very strong, robust systems that can withstand any kind of natural event or, you know, even when we uh, transport nuclear waste containers, we, you can... Google whole tech missile test, for example, and okay. you'll see a missile launched into one of these things and um, okay. it survives. We, we crash trains to, at 80 miles an hour to prove that how robust these things are. So, so you know, the, the, the good news is that we safely contain all our waste products. Of course, then we, we still have them. And so there's this, this continued stewardship responsibility that we take very seriously. We, we paid for it. We're, we're looking, uh, that's, that's another thing that's, that's interesting about the drive to decarbonize is that use fuel wasn't a problem because we were safely storing at the plants and then we decommissioned the plants. 
continues to be safely stored there. Yeah. You can ask yourself, is that the best use of that site to continue to, to store fuel? Well, it, it, it is what we're doing at those sites. But, you know, right now we have an administration that's wanting to move forward on, on, on consolidating our storage. Other nations do that. I think the best way to describe to a country looking at nuclear energy for the yeah. first time is, yeah. is the way... Um, Native Americans, for, or you know, in, in Canada they call them the First Nations, the Aboriginal people, whatever, whatever the term is, in whatever part of the world. Yeah, you know, the one, the ones who were here first in yeah. America, they, they they have a philosophy that says you always think seven generations ahead in Ooh, anything you do. That's quite um, futuristic. <laughs> yeah, well, and that and that's what you have to do with, them. and that's what nuclear is all about because you're thinking about leaving behind a better planet. Uh, for future generations yeah. you're thinking about you know containing these byproducts at, at decommissioned plants and eventually in a geologic repository which they're doing that in finland right now they're building the first one uh yeah, france Sweden, switzerland yeah other countries are moving uh towards that yeah. the united states will eventually get there um, i think unfortunately we've been too successful storing it on site so there just hasn't been the momentum to move forward with a permanent or a seven generation solution okay. but at the end of the day when you go to geologic disposal that scientists around the world accept for for our byproduct wastes you know really what you're doing is you're you're pitting geologic processes against radiation decay because unlike a lot of other hazardous materials yeah. radioactive materials get less hazardous over time yeah. If you put them deep in the geology yeah. where you contain them in robust barriers, they're decaying now, and, and we can continue to do that for at least hundreds of years if we if we needed to. But then when you talk thousands of years, you know, we know how geologic processes work because we can look back in the geologic record. We can see, you know, how the mountains evolved and how the geologic structures of our planet developed over time. And, and if the geologic processes are slower than the radiation decay processes, you essentially then assure this is you're thinking seven generations ahead now. You you essentially assure that um, you know there's not ever going to be a hazard that gets out into the environment. In the meantime, above ground, you've not produced carbon, you've not caused the seas to rise, you've not put pollutants that choke people's lungs into the air. So you, you, you really are, you, you're thinking like a Native American. You're thinking seven <laughs> generations ahead when you start down the, the nuclear path. So uh, there, there have been a lot of ideas on how to dispose. You know, I also watched a video about um, somebody saying, what if I find myself in a spent fuel pool, like accidentally I, I landed, I know, I, I know that that is um, very unlikely but uh, uh, and the person like stated that nothing would really happen you might even have um, a kind of um, better swimming um, experience than on a normal swimming pool that is not temperature regulated so and um, <coughs> there have been also a kind of um, suggestions of different ways of disposing of nuclear waste because uh, give or take or like like it or not nuclear waste is a major issue in the world like most people who are ignorant and those who are knowledgeable about nuclear are concerned about the waste generated from nuclear power plants because they kind of worry about okay what do we do with the waste you know and when um, countries are talking with utilities uh, to build nuclear power plants like um, maybe for offshore constructions maybe if US gets uh, a contract to build nuclear power plants in another country the 
waste management is a major component of the contractual agreement. So uh, sometimes uh, the way of disposing this waste uh, is a major source of um, concern for the parties involved. So, and I, I kind of um, wonder, like, you have stated an illustration about how um, uh, uh, comparing the, the, the geological um, evolution process and the radiation, which is slower than if the radiation is um, radiation decay, radioactive decay is happening um, faster than the geological process, then I think it would be wise to go with the geological disposal. But some weird ideas on how to dispose um, nuclear waste, like taking them to space and blasting them off there and stuff like that, have been flying all over the place for, for, for some time now. So I wonder, like, what are the risks involved with uh, nuclear fuel management? Whichever means that one adopts, like I wonder, uh, one has to do some kind of trade-off analysis. What do you think is the risk involved in whichever method one adopts um, to manage well, the, fuel? The, the risk involved is that that you don't over time get to permanent disposal. Um, okay. You know, even then, I, I'm not sure that. that harm occurs because I, I think the storage systems we're designing today are good for at least a hundred years, probably more. I, I think one of the things that's not understood about spent fuel is that it, although it is very radioactive, particularly early in the time after it comes out of a reactor, Being hot, of course. it's so easily contained. You're, you have this solid ceramic inside these zirconium tubes, inside these engineered baskets, inside these stainless steel canisters, inside these concrete shells. Um, you have an inert gas, you have no moving parts. Um, so, so the risks are really extremely low. Compare the risks of storing spent fuel. And yes, you, every scientific organization that's studied it says geologic disposal is the answer. People have looked at space and some of those things, and there's very good reasons why we haven't gone in that direction. But, um, you know, there are many forms of geologic disposal. Um, one being looked at here in the United States, uh, as a kind of a niche opportunity now, but who knows where it goes is, is, you know, using the same technology that they use right now for fracking to develop natural gas. Um, because what they do is they, they can horizontally drill, they can put large pieces of equipment in the drill holes, they can retrieve the large pieces of equipment. Um, well, imagine you're using all that same technology to put the nuclear waste into the geology. Now now you're not talking about a large mine repository, you're, you're talking about something that looks like a wellhead next to your reactor. Yeah. And I know a lot of countries, at least in Europe, I don't know about Africa, that are looking at their first plant, are looking at those kind of technologies as well as the traditional, yeah. what you would call mine geology. Yeah. yeah, like um, like uh, in, in South Africa where they have a lot of mines, like coal mines especially, that could be an option for them to dispose in their site. And, um, and from my uh, research about nuclear waste and not just um, in the lead up to this um, interview, but um, being a nuclear engineer, I've known that um, nuclear power plants um, generate less waste than coal. Uh, it, it has been um, kind of... Um, posited that uh, the waste generated from uh, nuclear power plants um, in the U.S. from 1950 up to this time can be contained in, in, the, in the size of about the, uh, the football field, which is about um, 100 by 75 meters. So uh, 
this yeah, that's that's correct it, yeah it's it, about 10 10 meters deep or less and yeah. so another way to say it is if, if if you got all of your electricity for your entire life and you lived a very long with whatever the the standard human lifespan is these days 80 years or so um you would produce exactly one coke cans worth of, of nuclear waste when I look at all the waste products, every human being, you know, when I take my garbage, my recycling to the curb, and there's always more recycling in my recycling bin than there is garbage. And so the world is making progress. But um, all the waste products we produce, some of which don't decay, some of which are just as hazardous as radiation. Um, and, and to, you know, an entire human life can be lived with on the amount of energy and it take, it would, you know, the waste would fit in one Coke can. I think that's a fair trade off particularly since that Coke can can be so easily protected and, and stored safely and then permanently disposed of where it will become harmless during the time it will take the geology to let anything out. You know? yeah. Wow, that's a um, quite amazing explanation. And um, right now, I want to go a bit um, close and personal with um, some <laughs> questions about how you yeah. have... Um, uh, navigated 35 um, wonderful years of career in the nuclear industry and um, I want to know like uh, Rod what's really prepared you further in your career in the various um, government agencies and now in nuclear energy institutes what has actually propelled you and what lessons have you learned um, in your career in these years well, I think being flexible. I mean, I, I never thought I would be working on the nuclear waste end of this, but it's where I've spent my, you know, the biggest part of my career in my last 22 years at NEI. I think a lot of uh, innovation has gone into developing the dry cast storage systems that I was speaking of earlier. These are these robust multiple barrier systems that, that we use to contain it. I'm very proud to have been a part of that. I, I've seen the industry evolve. You know, we, we just, I, I got involved in 1998. There were only a handful of these. Now we have 3,000 of these systems. I, I've seen the regulatory framework evolve around it. Um, you know, and never stop learning things. Uh, so, so being flexible, never, never, uh, because, you know, the innovation can't happen. Uh, and I think that's one of these things that in, unless everybody involved in the innovating is still learning. I mean, I guess you could just have young people keep replacing the old people, but to be here 35 years, I couldn't, I can't be thinking the way today I thought 35 years ago when I was designing nuclear plants. Indeed, if we were, if we were designing and building nuclear plants that way now, we wouldn't be talking about having them in Africa and other countries. You know, you look at some of these new companies out there, yeah. and there's a lot of them. I know I've got one group at NEI that's looking to use constituents of the used fuel as feedstock for their uh, their new plants. Some of those might be com companies uh, marketing to African countries, and um, you know things like people like Oklo and New Scale. Um, and 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 they're they're incredibly innovative, and I, I think there's yeah. about a dozen of those companies. I'm that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I I you have already answered the question I wanted to ask. Like um, the variables should be to be considered when some African countries want to adopt some new technology in terms of um, the nuclear waste, and um, you've really and rightly said that um, you should consider some closed cycle innovation. And um, that enables um, the plants to burn the fuel, you know. And yeah, now that's, yeah. I, I want to correct one thing there. There really is no such thing as completely closing the fuel cycle. There will always be waste. 
recycling it enables you to get more energy out of the fuel which is incredibly valuable because now you have less nuclear waste and, and there's a lot more energy than we currently get out of it what the beautiful thing is for the african nations and others is you get a chance to look at this for the first time and think seven generations ahead from the very beginning like the native Remember? americans right <laughs> yeah like the native americans in the united states we we had this we developed nuclear technology because we wanted to win a war so we developed it as a weapon and then we said okay well this has a peaceful use and then we started to think you know well, well i think we're still learning to think like our native american predecessors but you know started to think about the waste and all that and and then these technologies came along to to, to contain it and, and and eventually dispose of it but um you know what would excite me if i were to have another 35 years of career and i think i want to retire before then would be being able to be in on a country that's just getting started that gets to wow. take that forward look and think about the waste from day one what do i want to do with the waste what do i want to do with decommissioning you know the financial part of decommissioning is easy and and that makes the technical part of uh, surprisingly easy we haven't talked about it but a lot of innovation going on to get these plants uh, decommissioned uh, more expeditiously and so that um, you know that that land can be restored to other uses so um, yeah yeah to be on the front end of a of the birth of a, a new industry in a new country um, indeed I feel uh, very envious of those folks you folks so why well i mean like why why what makes it different from what you've experienced before is it because of the new methods or new technology it's because this industry was born of circumstances uh it was born before we realized what a threat not only climate change was but but pollution in general remember you know in, in the 1940s people weren't, weren't you know you weren't even putting catalytic converters on cars you know you weren't worried about energy efficient appliances um so to have that long view uh, you know of, okay it is about the future of my country and and the world my country is a part of and and here is a technology that can manage its waste products over the long term that can provide for its cradle to grave existence of its facilities and that can keep all this stuff out of the air that when nuclear energy was born in the United States as a tool of war we weren't thinking about any of those things now you get to think through all those things and plan it out and i bet some of these countries will do it even better wow that's cool amazing like i super appreciate the the explanation and your so much um, rich experience in the industry and um, i kind of um, want to uh, bring you to the last aspect of this um, interview and i so much appreciate the time so far i want to ask you like some people especially in africa are very much um, inquisitive and um They want to know more about nuclear technology. Some of them don't know. Some of them know a little, and um, they want to know like what made you, uh, what motivated you to go into the nuclear industry. Although you said that you did not imagine that you'd be there this long, so uh, I kind of wonder like, what does this technology mean to you? And um, uh, yeah, do you have any maybe resource or kind of material to share with people who are like a little bit? Um, not too knowledgeable about this technology. Well, um, I got a little message on there, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 
I would go to www.nei.org. We have a full range of educational materials and references to links on other things out there. Um, in terms of what motivated me, you know, the, I think the first Earth Day was around the time I was in high school. So unlike the people who first brought nuclear energy into existence, the Manhattan Project winning World War II, I did grow up and I was a very idealistic teenager. I wanted to do something about the future of the planet. You know, when, when, when in the 1970s, there was a population of us young people who that's what we cared about. We, we, we did start to think maybe a little bit like the Native Americans. We got to look ahead. It's, it's got to be about the future of the planet. So I, I, I saw it as um, an opportunity to do something uh to to help the planet to to leave behind something here that you know my own small contribution might not be remembered but i would have would have been a part of it and then something happened the year i graduated from high school three mile island uh, wow yeah this tremendous accident in the united states so it turns out our containment all worked none of the radiation got out the systems worked as designed and then we got a lot smarter and everything got even better designed from there forward and i was part of that my earliest jobs because when Three Mile Island happened, my, my view was, wow, they have problems with that technology. They need more engineers. So I'll go be an engineer. Cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wanted to do something about the planet. And now here was an industry that needed more engineers. And, wow. and indeed, in my, my early career years in building plants, I was one of the designers who was designing the systems that were being added to make them even safer. And then I saw all that same kind of innovation applied in, in use fuel. And I'm seeing it applied to decommissioning now. So um, I'm a very fortunate man to have been able to have been part of this industry. And, wow. and I'm... I'm very grateful to be seeing others now with a much longer view than I ever could have had, a much Ooh. more well-informed view than I ever could have had 35 years ago. Also, see it as a thing they want to go into. Wow. Thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate this time with you. Um, Rod McCollum, Senior Director, Decommissioning and Useful at Nuclear Energy Institute. Your inspiration will go a long way to... Um, let many people know about nuclear and also make an informed decision about what um, way they want to carry on either in their career or in their jobs or whatever about nuclear both in Africa and globally and I hope that um, we can have more time with you in the future to uh, tap from your wealth of knowledge because having 35 years of experience is like having a gold at your backyard, you know. You're more than kind and anytime has been, it has been my pleasure. Again, I, wow. I'm, I'm really uh, excited for you and, and other folks who are engaged in the newer wow. project. Thank you so, so much for the time. I sincerely appreciate Rod. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, so bye-bye. I appreciate it. Bye.